Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today we have a really unique guest and story, and I want to tell you a little bit about our guest. He is Michael Poldy, and he runs Poldy Resiliency Partners. He focuses on reducing uh, business and IT risk, and um, he has a great uh, story that he's going to share with us that's very relevant to all the rest of the nerds on the podcast, and I want to... Uh, just keep it short because the story speaks for itself. Um, let's just welcome today, Michael Poldy. Welcome, Hi, Michael. Hi. Hi. It's great to see you and great hear you. you great to see you too. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of want to dive right in because you have this great story and, and your career was really accelerated for the first 25 years. I mean, you worked in a lot of different industries. You worked in governments, aerospace, banking, security services startup and also at IBM. And then you came to a full stop, as you told me. And um, yeah, you lost your first wife to suicide. I'd really appreciate it if you could walk us through your professional mindset and focus around that time. I think it was around 2009. Tell us, tell us more about that. Well, yeah, it was pretty, um, it was pretty tragic. And that uh, tragic is a really underwhelming word mm -hmm. for what, what my life was going through. I was a, uh, um, I was essentially a, a pretty successful business technical executive at IBM, uh, fast track doing lots of really great, exciting, uh, exciting things. I had two global jobs at the company. I had lived in a number of places around the United States and I was running a, a business within IBM. We were doing roughly a hundred million dollars a year, which is a, which at IBM is a, it's a small company. <laughs> yeah. I great, great profit growth, great client growth turned. It was a really a turnaround situation within the company. Mm -hmm. And I was just going flat out full speed. And I was focused on the career and my wife at the time, she's focused on the family and the house and, all the uh, all the actions that, that make that happen. And we used to joke, I was the CEO and she was the COO that really did all the work and made all the decisions. And I just mm -hmm. brought in a paycheck and, and went along for the ride. And I was actually on a trip, a business trip, and I got a phone call from uh, a number of people, but I was, I was in the meeting. I didn't really answer my phone. And then I started picking up messages. And one of the messages was from the coroner in the... Uh, in the city of Boulder, Colorado, where we lived. And obviously that was pretty uh, a pretty s significant message to re receive from the coroner. And I was, my initial thought was something that had happened to our, our kids. Uh, and then I spoke to the coroner and, and he explained what happened. And it was very shocking to say the least. And I pretty much dropped everything and hopped on an airplane. And, and quite frankly, I, I pretty much cried the entire flight back yeah I it bet. was uh it was unbelievable and uh we went through uh 
uh, one of my sons was in college at the time in, this, in the Arizona State, so I had to fly him back to Colorado. My other two boys were in high school. Uh, fortunately, we had a family, close family friend that watched over them until I got back. And, uh, and that's pretty much how it started. And I still, to this day, 12 years later, still remember that, that whole sequence of events very, very vividly from the time I was called to going to the airport. I, I had a great uh, assistant at the time who really helped me uh, navigate a lot of things so I could get home. So my son in Arizona could get home. And, and, and then, uh, and that pretty much from that moment on, I started my second, uh, my second life. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you were just like on fire in your corporate life and probably your home life too. And suddenly whammo, like everything changed and, um, yeah, that's, that's just, uh, a lot to, uh, deal with all at once. And then you said you have a second life here. I mean, how did you, um, how did you turn around? I mean, you, you look here, you, you said your second life is a little bit about, uh, your disaster recovery career and, um, you do continuity and incident planning, crisis management. Um, you know, how did that come out of this? Yeah, that's uh, it's a it was it was actually a very interesting segue into what was actually happening to me personally because as you mentioned, I've I've spent most of my career, well, really all of my career in technology, but most of my career has been in the area of handling crisis situations, critical mm -hmm. situations, helping others, mostly businesses, but helping others plan for disasters because if you have a plan and something bad happens, you have a much better chance in surviving that, surviving that disaster. Well, the comment that I was making to myself and was saying to some of my friends was, well, I'm now dealing with my own critical situation. Right. Because quite frankly, you don't really plan for things like this. It doesn't happen to you. Uh, fortunately, we did have some estate planning, which very much helped uh, get through a lot of the legal elements to that. So that, that was huge, but having a really once that I started returning back to uh, understanding what was going on in my life, I was able to go ahead and start pushing out a program for how to recover and how to rebuild my life. Mm -hmm. And it was um, using a lot of the techniques that I had learned in business, but applying those to me personally. So I'll, I'll give you some examples. Yeah. Um, finding, finding good mentors to help. Uh, I, I leaned very heavily with a, uh, a therapist for several years. And, and I had my children involved in therapy for at least 12 months. And I told them after 12 months, they can do whatever they want. But for the first 12 months, they're going into therapy. They all, all three of them, I'll, I'll jump kind of to the end here. All three of them, they have very healthy, happy lives, they're doing very well in their careers. They have successful relationships. And I attribute that to those first 12 months um, and, and getting them into the right care. Uh, second was building a team. So I built a team to help me navigate through my personal crisis. And, and that team consisted of around five or, five or six people, a few of them family, a few of them were, were, 
were friends or coworkers. And, and that team was really a group of people that I could count on and I could call anytime. It was my 24 by seven support line. So you said some of these teams were coworkers, some of them were family and friends. I mean, how did you, how did you select your team? Um, well, it's very interesting. You know, I know, I'm sure a number of, of your listeners have had their own personal crisis and, mm-hmm. and it, and what you find and what most people find is some people that you expect to be there are there. And some people that you expect to be there are not there. Mm-hmm. And then people that you never thought would, you'd have any relationship at all, all of a sudden show up. And, yeah. and that's, and that's what happened to me is hmm. it was this interesting cascade of individuals that would come in or, or left my life. Mm-hmm. And, well, and from mm-hmm. that group, I was able to put together the right set of people. Well, one of the things I just wanted to highlight, I mean, especially for the listeners is, I mean, what you're saying is that you uh, took your sort of vocational training to help you manage this crisis and give you your second life. But also there were people from work who were there for you personally. And, you know, sometimes just for the, the nerd listeners here that they don't always think about. Uh, blending that or, you know, talking to people about personal things, but realizing that how much um, that can help you uh, both professionally and personally, uh, when you have folks at work who you can trust and be on your team uh, inside and outside of work, it it really helps. So uh, I just thought that those were both really important points that you had brought up that I want to make sure we're we're clear to to the folks who are listening in and viewing. Yeah. Yeah, to that point, it was really quite amazing. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, I had my inner circle of people mm-hmm. that I really depended on. And then I had my professional colleagues that mm-hmm. some of them I was closer with than others, but they really stepped up too, because my original thought, again, I'm, I'm very type A and very success oriented. This was only going to be a three week speed bump. Oh, Wow. You know, I'll be back. I'll be back going in three weeks. Um, yep. Well, three weeks came and I went back to work and I was like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids went back to school within a week. They're like, they're like, dad, we, we want to go back to school. We want to get back into sports. I mean, the schools were great. They were like, mm-hmm. don't worry. Your kids will pass all their classes. We will make sure that they are fine, which was mm-hmm. really helped a lot. It really took a lot of big burden off of my mind, but for me, the people at work almost did the same thing. Mike, just show up, work is whatever, whatever you can put in is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll take care of this. And so for a year, I pretty much um, would phone it in. I'd answer a few emails if I could. Uh, there was a lot of times I could not even get through a meeting without breaking down and crying. And obviously that's not the professional (laughs) uh, experience you want to exude when you're negotiating Mm -hmm. a $50 million Mm -hmm. five-year contract with a client. So I was no, I was no good in any business setting at all. And having that group of people to really help me and support me, it was quite amazing. And I think people giving people the opportunity to do that, which I did, because I really, quite frankly, I, I didn't even, 
I didn't even push back on it. And, and I think that's what helped people really just stepped up because they were given the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, that must be a testament to your leadership previous to that as well. Um, if you can have people who can are empowered to do that. Um, but also I think realizing that uh, you're not, um, you know, that, that people can get on without you if, if need be, I think is huge, especially for leaders. Sometimes they just think that they have to be there no matter what, and that you took care of yourself. I mean, this is one of the reasons why it's so important for people to hear your story is that uh, when life throws you a, a curveball like this and you're just really taken out for a while, it's, it is important to take care of yourself and, and navigate through. So, but you made a very dramatic change and, and you, we keep talking about your second life here and we're, we're sort of, um, you know, sort of uh, going around it, but I, I'd like to um, know, uh, you know, what did you do? You know, what, what was, and how did you come to this conclusion? I'm not going to give it away. I mean, maybe I should here. So, you, you know, you started to work with uh, suicide survivors and the D.D. Hirsch mental health community in Los Angeles. So tell us a little bit about that, how you came to uh, work with them and what you do now. Well, I, uh, first of all, it took, it took a long time for me to get to that point where I could okay. help. Where, yeah. where I could really help others. I mean, we're, we're talking um, eight, eight years, mm-hmm. nine years. I would, through my processes, I got stronger and I would meet other suicide survivors, other right. people who lost a loved one. I would, I recognized the value that it really had for, for me to tell my story. Mm-hmm. And I also recognized that is it, the more I told my story, even to people that weren't necessarily survivors, but people that were depressed or they Mm. had a loved one who was depressed. And when I would tell them what happened to me uh, and happened to my family and how I navigated through it, it, I realized it helped them find solutions to their personal situations. Did Didi Hirsch uh, help you? Was that one of the places you turned to or did you get help other places? No, no, no. I, I, I got help from other, other places. Okay. By the time I came to Los Angeles, um, I I moved to Los Angeles in 2015. So it was roughly six years after the loss of my first wife. And when I came to Los Angeles, as I started integrating myself into the community, because I came here and I knew like three people, um, (laughs) I found that again, my uh, passion for helping others deal with their depression or dealing with suicide loss, even though I'm, I'm not a trained therapist, I don't profess myself being a, a mm-hmm. trained clinical therapist, but I have this personal experience, which fortunately people relate to. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I, I sought out the D.D. Hearst community and found out they had a uh, survivors of suicide program. Okay. And through that, uh, meeting the people that run those programs, they integrated me uh, actually very quickly into a, uh, uh, as a co-facilitator for group therapy sessions. And, and for me personally, I'm probably in um, probably 16 to 24 weeks a year now, I'm spending time with uh, people who have lost a loved one to suicide. Wow. So um, tell us about that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what is it that you do? It's very heavy. Um, mm-hmm. if, I mean, first of all, I get a lot of um, 
personal satisfaction out of it mm -hmm. because by telling my story, even though it's, it's been over a decade, it gives a lot of people hope. And when I look back, what was going through my mind, the first year, the first two years, I desperately looked for people who had already experienced what I had gone through. And so I could find out what are those guideposts? What, do, mm -hmm. what should I be doing? Everyone's journey, first of all, is, is their own individual personal journey. Mm -hmm. My journey is not someone else's. Um, but by communicating my journey, there's certain commonalities that people get when they're in this very awful, exclusive club. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm in these meetings, in these group therapy sessions, I mean, it's, it's very heartbreaking because there's so much loss and there's so much pain that people are experiencing. And, and it's also a, a, a very sad testament to what is going on around not just the United States, but worldwide as it relates to mental health and depression and, and even gun violence. And, and I'm not going to position, put my po political position on, on firearms, but I will specifically state when I go to these meetings, the high percentage of people who have lost a loved ones due to a gunshot. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, I was in this one session, there were eight women, all of them lost a husband, child, father, or friend due to a, a gunshot, everyone. Wow. And, and, the, and that statistic is not, is not unusual. It's it, suicide by guns is very high. And, 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 and I think the, the base statement is, is if someone is having any type of mental depression, or there's even a, a feeling that someone is feeling there's a, their personal safety is at stake, get the guns out of the house. Well, you know, I just wanted to jump to today for a second, because that's very poignant. I mean, with the pandemic and uh, so much has been going on, the depression statistics, you know, um, it's, it's really a uh, depressive disorder. Uh, in the first six months of uh, 2019 and 2021, it skyrocketed from 11 to 41%, right? As some numbers that you've actually helped me uh, identify. And um, it, the Kaiser Family Foundation had a survey and they uh, said that a lot of the mental illness in adults is without a job or an income loss. Um, and there are a lot of people feeling suicidal. So this is really important, you know, with guns around the house that people might um, have access to a method, which is, I mean, in my psychology training, that was always a, a very important point. Do you have, you know, a, an access to a method? And um, what goes through your mind, though, when you read these kind of statistics? Well, well quite frankly, it's, it's, it's very scary. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. I was on the, I was on the phone today with a, uh, with a woman who I just recently met in, uh, she's based in, uh, outside of Belgium. And, and we actually got on this particular topic of, of depression and, and how during the pandemic, the mental outlook of individuals all over the globe, how it's really gotten bad. And a lot of it is because people are in their homes with nothing to do. 
I mean, mm -hmm. they may be working or they may be reading or, or, you know, making banana bread, but <laughs> at some point they, they have nothing to do. And, and that's where it goes back to people that don't have any strategies on getting out of the house or getting exercise or having a routine. And, and when you fall out of those things, the mind has a tendency to do, to take you into a place where ultimately it leads to an area of depression. And again, it's, I mean, I'm not a professional here, but mm -hmm. everything that I've read and, and talking to people, this is what goes through my mind is that it, it's so easy to just let go and not be in the routines and not exercise on a daily basis and not find a way to go outside. And, um, you know, the more that people are hibernating, the worse it seems to continue to get. Yeah. You know, um, I was actually just having a conversation with somebody about this last week and they were saying that even though it's, it's possible, we're going to be getting out of the pandemic and we might be um, being able to be in person more still people are at that level, the stress level from this past year and a half, where even the littlest thing could be a trigger to push us over and, um, and how to get out of the depression that we might be feeling. So this is going to be a, a, a long-term uh, concern that, that we have. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you some follow-up questions here, and I hope you'll indulge me. Um, but, you know, we started out by talking about your work and you being a nerd and, you know, working at IBM and security and risk management and all that. You know, I'm just really curious about um, how you made that transition to be able to talk about your feelings and your your vulnerabilities and all of this. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of times here on this podcast that you cried and, you know, you don't hear that very often from people, you know, from, uh, you know, <laughs> people at work and all that. And I, I'm just, the fact that you're able to say this, I wanted uh, our folks, our listeners to learn how you were able to do that. Well, again, this is not something that happened overnight. Mm -hmm. it, it was, uh, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I came from a, a family that was actually a very loving family. Mm -hmm. And, and there was a lot of, uh, um, you know, open communications and, and support. Uh, so I think that was something that was very, very big and important for me. Uh, I think that I, I've, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had periods of my life where the marriage may not have been going so well, or I had personal relationship problems. Uh, uh, in fact, I remember in college, which was the first time I ever saw a therapist because I was uh, I was depressed. I was a computer science major. I was I was um, editor of the yearbook. I was I, all this. I did all this photography. I mean, I was very very active socially and very active in a very difficult major, and and I lost it quite frankly. And I went and saw a therapist for the very first time in, uh, in, in college. And that was actually a really great experience for me. Mm -hmm. I got some very good counseling from, from this gentleman. And, and I probably only went maybe four or five times. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot, but it was enough to really kind of help me. And from that point forward, as I would go through more experiences in my life, quite frankly, I was 
open to going to seeing a therapist. Now, it wasn't like every time I needed to see a therapist, it was the same person. And sometimes I met therapists that were not so good. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a little bit, it's like dating, you know, some, <laughs> yeah, some true. people are great and some people yeah. are not. And, and you have to essentially be able to make the call for yourself. Um, so I think that really helped. And then the other big turning point was, was really after my, uh, the loss of my wife and I fought it. Like I said, I, I fought the emotions. Like mm-hmm. I'm going back to work after three weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not a failure. I, I can persevere through this. I can find a way to get through it. Well, within three months, I realized I'm not going to find my way through this. It's not going to happen. So the analogy I came up with was I'm like a, a stick on the river and I'm just floating down the river and I have no control over where I'm going. The river controls, the river will control my path. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing I can do is just sit back and enjoy the ride. And so if I was going to cry, I'm going to cry. Mm-hmm. If I was, if, if someone was um, someone who I felt wasn't supportive of me, then I wasn't going to spend a lot of time investing in that individual. Um, in fact, there was a number of people that are no longer in my life anymore, professionally and personally, mm-hmm. because of the lack of empathy and, and support for myself and my children. And, and doing those, those two things, really, you know, the realization that yeah. don't fight it, let, let your emotions come out. It'll help the grieving process. It'll help your recovery process. And it'll help you get, get yourself back into a state of mind that you can focus on your job and your family and yourself. And, and I said, there's actually in reverse order, you know, you have to be able to support, <laughs> you have to be able to, you know, take care of yourself before mm-hmm. you can help your family and your kids and before you can help your career. And, and so that's, that was the approach I took. So um, tell us about your life now um, and perhaps a little bit about your work and your uh, volunteer work. Sure. So I, as I mentioned, I now live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I've been remarried and I have a wonderful, happy life living near the beach outside of Los Angeles. Um, between the two of us, I have three children from, from my first marriage. She has two. So we have five boys. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a lot of fun. They're all roughly in the same age demographic. So that's mm-hmm. great. But we have, we have, a, we have a great, great time together and it's been uh, someone, um, that I've been able to have a lot of fun enduring the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that's been great. Uh, professionally, I, uh, now run my own company where we focus on helping companies avoid and mitigate disasters mm-hmm. or crisis, whether it's an employee safety situation, an IT disaster, a business, business process issue, uh, organizationally, you know, in terms of understanding risk. So we help companies understand risk, understand what's the most important thing to their business and how do they keep it running when extreme things happen? Right. You know, for example, the state of Texas. Oh, right. Five, five, five days uh, without power, you know, that'll never happen. You know, so how many people took any action after the Texas power outage to make sure they can run 
themselves and make sure they can run their home office or their, their business office. Very, very, unfortunately, very few people have taken any actions. And, and surprisingly, it doesn't cost a lot of money, but you have to put a little effort into it. You have to do a little planning. Um, kind of like I mentioned, fortunately, uh, my wife had a will. If she did not have a will, then I would have been for into a, another world of her. Mm-hmm. And so I think that planning has been very important. And then, as I mentioned with Dee Dee Hirsch, I, I find the, the, my volunteer work, helping with suicide survivors, helping them understand how to navigate through their crisis and through their disaster. It's very personally gratifying for me because I'm able to work with, and I work with a trained therapist. And, and so the two of us uh, go through this. So we have the person who's, who's you know, clinically trained on how mm-hmm. to deal with grief and how to deal specifically with suicide. And then we have a person like me who's been through this. And, and to my uh, fortuitous luck, I have positively been able to navigate my way through this maze. So I've come out of the other end and, and I feel I have a very healthy, balanced lifestyle. Um, I still work very hard, mm-hmm. but I'm much more attuned to balancing my life and making sure that my personal mental health and my physical health is in top performance. So I can do the other things in my life that I want to achieve. You know, I hear this so often and it's, it's just one of those things that people say a lot, but you really have to take it to heart and having you share your story about how that has helped you uh, get through things and be resilient and, and be healthy in the midst of all this is just testament to that. And uh, sometimes people just let it sort of go in one ear and out the other, but it's like you said, if you're not, that's when the depression might come in. If you get idle in the house alone, those kind of things. So um, yeah, I think that's great that you're uh, sharing your experiences and how you're able to stay healthy and balanced. Really important. You, you also run a podcast risk stories, right? So tell us a little bit about that. So I wanted to create this podcast to focus Mm -hmm. on, on risk. And there's Mm -hmm. lots of different kinds of risk. I mean, I'm a technology nerd guy and I love talking about it disaster recovery and, and business resiliency as it relates to technology areas, but there's a lot of other kinds of risk out there in the world. Um, in fact, my very first podcast episode, which was kind of rough because I was still trying to figure out how to do a podcast, I did it with a, a, a woman who's a friend of mine out of the United Kingdom who also ex- has experienced loss of suicide. And the two mm-hmm. of us spent uh, about a half hour, 40 minutes talking about mental health and things that people can do. And she had some really great suggestions and really great things that she does with her colleagues in in the United Kingdom and I thought in Europe and I thought that was really great getting that different Mm -hmm. perspective than we have in the United States but we talk about other other risk I had a a a woman who was a former CIA analyst who was stationed in Iraq Mm -hmm. as well as in Washington DC so she talked about her experiences chasing bad people around the world. Right. Um, I have uh, a, a gentleman, he runs a company called Global Guardian, and he's an ex-special forces uh, person. And he, uh, his company now started with executive detail protection. So protecting the 
senior executives at Starbucks, for example, from mm-hmm. kidnappings or, or extortion or cyber threats wow. or something like that. Well, he's expanded his business. So when you're traveling around the world um, and something happens, you, you, you push the red button or your, your phone goes off the grid and he has people in a hundred countries around the world that will go find you and extricate you out of the country. And he's talking about his adventures of, you know, I'm tracking someone in, in an airport in Tel Aviv waiting to get clearance to take off so we can get them out safely and do it in such a way so they can actually re-enter the country when they leave. Um, and, and, you know, he talks about fun, fun stories of, of getting people out of countries and guns and things like that. And uh, I just uh, I just finished, put the finishing touches on, on the, my latest podcast which is from a, uh, a climate expert. And, and this is a, a, a woman, she's out, of, uh, she's out of Australia and she used to be with Greenpeace and she has spent her whole life with environmental climate issues. And she tells this great story when she was at Greenpeace, she was the uh, media communications director for Greenpeace for a number of years back in the uh, 80s, 90s timeframe. And she tells this great story about how Greenpeace almost got a nuclear warhead from uh, a few people defecting from the Soviet Union around the fall, around the time that uh, Mikhail Gorbachev was power was ending. And she says, we were within days of getting this nuclear warhead. And then these people just disappeared. Wow. This is an exciting podcast. I'm going to have to refer my folks, especially IT and everyone who's the CTOs who are trying to mitigate risk for their companies. This could be really gripping stories. So why don't you tell our our listeners how they can reach you or how they can reach your podcast too? Sure. So uh, the best way is either they can just go through LinkedIn, uh, Mm -hmm. mpoldy. They can email me at michael at poldypartners.com. Or if they go to my website, which is pulledypartners.com. There are links to our risk stories podcast and some of the other cool uh, risk mitigation strategies that we deploy throughout the world. Excellent. I'll make sure to have those on our show notes as well. So you can go in and get links there as well. Well, Michael, you have been um, just immensely uh, helpful to share your story of, uh, you know, I say resilience, uh, tragedy, and um, how you've gone through it from a nerd perspective too, and also sharing a great resource of your risk stories too. So thank you so much for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds. Thank you, Joni. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been great. And thanks to all our listeners and viewers. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.